welcome to Mommy with Mama Sal's Bad Words. Thanks for listening. See you next time. I, I did it. Good job. Finding the right jeans is hard. Accepting your jeans is even harder. Whether you wear boyfriend or bootcut, high-rise or low-rise, this podcast will teach you to love the jeans you are in. I'm Rachel. And I'm Tina. And we're going to use modern research to bust diet myths and get real about body after baby. We're going to take you on a journey of unpacking your old beliefs about food and weight so you can learn to nourish your body and raise body-confident kids. So put your booty in a chair and let's talk mom jeans. Welcome to season four of Mom Jeans. This season is called the Bite Size Education Series, where we give you quick bits of science and psychoeducation to help you in your journey towards body respect. This season, we will be answering your listener questions and interviewing amazing experts to expand your knowledge. So get ready for easily digestible, pun intended, pieces of education in podcast form. Hello, welcome back to this week's episode of the Bite Size Education Series. Today, we are going to be tackling this concept of emotional eating. It gets a pretty bad reputation in our society, and it is something that is very normal. So we want to do a little myth busting and give you a little bit of education about this topic. Yes. So I'm going to read you the listener question, and then we can dive right in. All right. Dear Mom Jeans. I am really confused on this definition of emotional eating. I feel like people demonize this term, but also I don't want to be doing it wrong. If I'm eating because I am sad or lonely, is that wrong? Or what about if I am celebrating a holiday or birthday with my kids? Can I eat the cake if I'm not hungry? I feel like there's a lot of negativity around emotional eating and that we shouldn't be doing it or else we are not doing intuitive eating correctly. Can you elaborate? Thanks for your help, Emotional Mama. If you have not yet listened to our previous episode, What Am I Hungry For? I would really recommend going back to that episode, listening to that, and then coming back here. Rachel and I really felt that the topic of emotional eating had so much information to it that we needed to create another bite-sized education episode to elaborate a little bit more. So here we are, we're going to talk solely about emotional eating. And so make sure you get that framework before we listen to this one. So to recap, the bottom line is we are created with five senses. And our sensory system helps us regulate our feelings and regulate our bodies and our nervous systems. So since most of our listeners are parents, I want you to go back in your memory to the newborn phase. I know, wake up. It was tiring. If you fell asleep, just remembering it. (laughs) Okay, so sorry. I'm about to enter in it. I'm so scared. Um, (laughs) But I want you to picture a very distressed, crying baby. What do you do to manage that baby? 
you engage its touch. You wrap it like a little burrito. You pat its back. You bump it up and down. You shh, shh, shh in its ear. You engage its listening. You give it kisses on its cheek. You nurse it. You bottle feed it. You feed it however you want to feed it. You help the baby regulate using all of its senses because it needs to learn how to regulate its system. So fast forward to adulthood, we still use all of our senses to help regulate our systems. In fact, if you want to do a deep dive, there's an eighth sensory system called the interoception system. And that system is basically the sense of all of our internal organs. So when our heart rate is really off because of anxiety, or when our blood pressure is dysregulated because of stress or something else going on, one of the pieces that also can be dysregulated is our sense of hunger and fullness. So, and our digestive system. So this can be something that brings us all the way back to emotional eating because it can be really hard to figure out how to regulate and cope when we are distressed, when we're upset, when we're feeling feelings, when that entire system is a little bit out of whack. It can be very normal to use our sense of taste to regulate this if we can't get a hug in that moment or no one can shh 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 in our ears. <laughs> Sometimes it feels good just to grab that snack. It does help regulate our system. So anyway, my point of bringing all of this up is to really understand that we are hardwired to have taste be one of the things that help our bodies regulate and to help us cope with feelings and also to help us enjoy and find pleasure in food and in family celebrations and connections. So. I I just want to normalize the biological component here before we dive into everything else. Well, Rachel, what episode was that when you were telling me that the reason why, oh, why is my kid a picky eater, right? Of like, why when Henry eats a cookie, his brain lights up and remembers mm, this moment the and the amygdala. And so was that uh, the picky eating episode of the series? Maybe. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I mean, we have, <laughs> we've lost track. <laughs> we've lost track. Peeps. Just listen to the whole season. So fun. You'll learn so many nuggets. It's a whole meal all together. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Anyways. This, this really reminds me of that where it's like, wow, our brain is so powerful that as humans, we need emotional connection. And so that may mean emotional connection. Yes, from touching people, hugging people, crying, uh, relaxation. But the taste, the taste is that thing that lights up the brain, that reenacts this memory. Um, and so that if we or we aren't able to get access to those other emotional responses that really provide a coping skill to us that taste if it is the easiest accessible option is going to come into play because we're going to remember this cookie tastes amazing and it brings me joy it did in the past and I need joy right now so I'm going to reach for it right mm -hmm. and our brains are trying to help us out our brains are trying to help us out my own the only caveat to this is is that happening all the time right? Is there something going on to where you do not have access to other forms of coping skills? And trigger warning, but if for those that have experienced trauma or abuse or are working through those, those pasts or presents, um, you may not have access to safety 
to love, to containment. And your brain, your body may need a specific level of emotional response through disconnection, dissociation, numbing, and food is the thing that you might have easy access to. This also comes into play with children. If children are feeling unsafe, if they are feeling a lack of love, if they are feeling a lack of containment or all of the above, food is one of the things that they have the most easiest access to. And so you may find that maybe they're getting bullied in school and don't know how to put words to that. And so they're turning to food as an emotional cope because the taste to that and the brain lighting up is the thing that can connect them to that safety or that feeling that they're needing that they really can't access through any other resource. I actually saw this happening in my daughter. I have three kids, so I'm kind of always being pulled in three different directions. And I started noticing that my daughter was asking for snacks more often during a period of just more busyness. And okay, maybe she's hungry, but I kind of started all of a sudden noticing and thinking about a little bit of a pattern because it was pretty consistent. And I'm thinking, knowing her physical levels of hunger when I fed her, I'm not quite sure if this is actually physical hunger. All of a sudden, I started realizing that she was using it as a connection tool with me. When she needed my attention and she needed my connection, she was saying, I'm hungry. And I think it was her way of saying either I'm bored or I need your focus, mom. Because once the child says, I'm hungry, you stop what you're doing, you make them a snack, you kind of sit down with them and you pay attention to them. So it was fascinating to start helping her start Mm. to realize when are you hungry and when do you need mommy to sit with you? Or when do you want to go do a puzzle? Or do you want mommy to color with you? Fascinating. Her hunger kind of disappeared most of the time when it was that emotional one. But it was really interesting for me to start being more in tune with the language she was trying to speak but didn't have words for and then also helping her develop that intuition. It's a really helpful example. I hope that parents can also recognize that it isn't going to always be that easy. Like Rachel does this for a living. And so is very in touch with, oh, wait, let me tap into this kind of deeper therapeutic. Well, and my child doesn't every single time be like, you're right, mommy. I just need to do a puzzle. (laughs) She's like, give me the lollipop. And you're like, (laughs) so trust me, my family is not perfect. But it, it, it is really confusing. And so I think it's like, yeah, this yes. may need some further exploration because we all are just trying to do the best for our kids and ourselves. So, yes. One interesting piece, I mean, I don't know if you've noticed this, Rachel, but in my practice, like during COVID and like the, the heat, the depths of the pandemic, it was emotional eating was so, so high. I found that so many of my clients that did struggle with connection to their bodies or coping skills or whatever it may be really turned to food and then struggled because they noticed that their bodies were changing or that they're spending more money on food or there's so much shame and guilt wrapped up. And so there was a lot of uh, emotional eating happening, which 
uh, duh. We, <laughs> yeah, we're all pretty emotional and yeah, I, we're stuck in our houses. So yeah, I found COVID brought out two fascinating elements of emotional eating. One is that yes, all of a sudden in a very blank, empty day where we couldn't leave our houses, the primary things that gave us joy and pleasure were the rituals around making meals or making snacks or eating. And again, that's a beautiful component of emotional eating. It is something that we can look forward to. I remember I've never been more excited for dinner than during quarantine because it was like, we're going to sit there and we're going to make food. And it felt like an activity and it was something to do and something to pour creative energy into. And that was a really cool piece of emotional eating that I think sometimes got overlooked or once again gets demonized when when you sat back and looked at it, you thought, you know what, it is interesting that food does bring us pleasure and some joy. And it was something that we realized we really all we had during some of that really peak quarantine time. The other thing that I thought was fascinating was, you know, for a very diet obsessed culture, um, we really got all up in arms about the fact that the COVID symptom of loss of taste and smell was distressing. And yeah, of course it was. Because what did that do? It made it so that we couldn't really enjoy the taste and the smell of eating. It made food less pleasurable. And I love that we always kind of talk about health in our society, about like looking a certain way. And I love how this really brought to the forefront that healthy eating and a healthy relationship with food is enjoying the smell of it and the taste of it and being able to find pleasure in it. So yes, I think the emotional component of food and our relationship with food really just kind of came to the surface in multiple different ways because of COVID, which is kind of just a, a present example of how we can continue to always be looking at why emotional eating isn't necessarily a bad thing. One last point I want to touch on is the fact that we still need to eat even if we are emotionally triggered. And so there's, or just in general, we just need to eat. Our bodies need food, period. And so there's this concept of food and feelings. And I always work with clients on both can exist. We need to eat to survive and we can hold pleasure with food. And at the same time, we have emotions. And so a lot of people really experience this merging of the two, that if I'm having really intense emotions, that somehow my needs, my, my energy needs are shifted. And so again, go back to that episode that we were talking about the three types of hunger, really talking about the need for physical and logical hunger are super important. So you need to eat no matter what, whether it is for physical, logical, or emotional reasons. Now let's recognize this emotional component of food. I do hear a lot of individuals say, I eat to live. So I am really just trying to eat very rigid, only what my body needs, and I'm eating to live. However, to me, that's a really boring way of living. I eat to live and live to eat and make sure that food is incorporated into all of those things. And so eating brings up pleasure. And some angles for that can be holidays. We eat and eat yummy foods during the holidays. It's recognizing that we can make these foods for ourselves throughout the year but there are specific foods, maybe culturally or when you're visiting family or that only really come up at specific times in the year. And that can bring us emotional pleasure. 
I'm going to give an example of now of like, so it's getting close to Halloween and for some reason, candy corn and those little candy pumpkins are really only available this time of year. So I feel like when they're available, my husband and I buy like 17 bags of them just so we can have them throughout the year because we really love them and we love having access to them. But some people may only have access to them during this season because they're not crazy like us and buy 17 million bags of them. I know Rachel's face. And um, so they want to eat more of them than they normally would. Okay, pumpkin pie, another example. Can we get pumpkin pie all year round? But for some reason, it only comes out in this upcoming season. Anyways, it's okay to eat more of these foods around these times because they bring an emotional response, right? So socially, culturally, holidays, to answer the listener question, can you eat the cake if you're not hungry? Yes, you're at a birthday party. You don't need to solely rely on physical hunger to allow yourself to eat. Remember, logical, emotional, physical, we're utilizing all three, and it's okay if you're making that choice. Hey, I'm going to emotionally eat this food even though I'm not physically hungry. Guess what? Your body's going to be okay. Your body knows how to utilize that piece of cake and ice cream that you just ate, despite it not quote unquote needing or being physically hungry for that food. We also live in a diet culture obsessed society that says certain foods are quote unquote bad. So you could also choose, if you're not hungry, to not have the piece of cake and not feel deprived if you have given yourself the mental and the physical permission to eat the cake at a different time when you are hungry and it is more accessible in that moment. So there's also a combination of realizing that you might not feel like emotional eating is as triggered if you've given yourself that permission to eat it when you are hungry and you are wanting it. The other thing that I hear a lot of jokes about is like, oh, I'm not an intuitive eater because I love nachos. And you're like, um, what? Okay, so here's the thing. Going once again back to this diet culture mentality. Eating food is not a sin. Eating food is not bad. So if we can let go of this feeling that like eating these foods, oh, I'm breaking rules or I'm not bad or I'm not intuitively listening to my body because I ate past fullness. You're not breaking any rules. There are so many different layers to a relationship with food and eating a couple handfuls of things at times is just part of the process. But if it is constantly causing you distress, if your eating habits and your emotional eating or whatever you want to call it is making you feel like you're not living in alignment with your values, just as we would tell someone who's restricting or purging or over-exercising, you know, or emotionally eating, if it feels like it's taking you away from things that cause, things that bring meaning to your life, things that are important to you, relationships that you need to put more energy into, problems that you need to more directly solve, then it can be something to look at. How can we help you put the behavior of eating and the relationship with food in its proper place so that you can kind of develop the skills to manage some other things or to address bigger picture issues. So 
you are an intuitive eater. You can emotionally eat things. It is absolutely okay. And it's always something to be checking. Are you separating out your food and your feelings? Where and when are they overlapping? And how can you continue to be listening to your body and living a life that feels like it's just really in alignment all around? Yeah. The last point I want to make, intuitive eating is giving yourself permission to eat with body attunement. It does not say that you only eat when you're hungry, only eat when you're full and stop. It says with body attunement. So if I'm attuned to my body and saying, I'm going to eat the cake, knowing that I'm not physically hungry, I'm in tune. I'm going to have an extra handful or a handful of M&Ms because I freaking want them and I'm not physically hungry for them, guess what? I'm in tune. So I think it's recognizing this level of body attunement and how some people are manipulating intuitive eating to be diet culture right? To say that there's a perfect way of eating that you need to follow these specific set of rules. No, no. Your body is going to send different signals all the time, depending on what's going on in life, depending on how your body feels, depending on so many different variables. So remember what intuitive eating actually means and is, and emotional eating fits perfectly within those guidelines, quote unquote, those principles. It fits within those principles. All right. Alrighty, we hope that helps answer your listener question and we will catch you next time. Bye. That's a wrap on this episode of the Bite Size Education Series. And we hope this new information provides you with a more critical lens when you hear mainstream diet culture messaging. You can connect with us on social media, on Instagram, at Podcast. And feel free to email your own listener questions to momjeanspodcast at gmail.com. If you loved the episode, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes and recommend the episode to a friend. Sending you the inner strength to accept your jeans with a G and wear the jeans with a J. Bye. This episode of Mom Jeans was produced and edited by Rachel Coleman and Tina LeBoy. Just a reminder, this episode is not a substitute for therapeutic counsel or nutrition advice. Thank you to Jerry DePizzo for the music production. You can find episode information and show notes at www.momjeansthepodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at momjeansthepodcast and join the Mom Jeans the Podcast Facebook group to find a community of mamas learning to love their bodies and discussing the episodes. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mom. See you next time.